0: Thank you for joining us today on Geezers of Gear. Today's podcast is brought to you by Elation Professional. Elation wish everyone good health and strength in these trying times and look forward to continuing to work together within the lighting community to help build a brighter future. Elation has remained open and serving its customers throughout the crisis, working on a reduced Monday through Thursday schedule. The company has also stayed connected with a series of online webinars, the Elation Hour online broadcast, featuring guest LDs sharing their techniques along with more behind the products discussions from Elation, Obsidian, and Magmatic product specialists. The Elation Hour airs live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. In addition, Obsidian has been running a series of free weekly training sessions. For details and registration, please visit Alation's website events page, Facebook events page, or the Obsidian Controls training website. Together, our industry will weather this storm and come out strong on the other side. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me today on Giezes of Gear, episode number 116. And so it's funny because this is actually, it's not funny at all, but this is the second episode number 116. And the reason behind that is because I actually recorded a very good and excellent episode uh, with Michael Richter and um, something technical happened. Basically a, uh, micro SD card went crazy and went corrupt. And, um, the result was basically a, um, a podcast that you could hardly understand. So you could hear it. You could kind of hear what people were saying, but it was just, it sounded like it was underwater or in a frying pan or something. So we had to scrap it unfortunately. And it was an almost uh, two-hour podcast. It was very interesting. Michael's an interesting guy, and I'm hoping to redo it someday because I'd love to get it. It was an an amazing chat. And so I apologize. That one was supposed to go up last week. It didn't because the technology that I have here that's supposed to work flawlessly didn't work. And uh, so that was kind of a bummer. But anyways couple of things to talk about today. So first, uh, I'd like to tell you that I've been out traveling. And I told you last time, and of course, it's all racing related because God forbid you travel for business anymore. But um, in the last couple of weeks, I went to my son's third and fourth racing event uh, of this crazy COVID season. And one was in actually... I'm sorry, since last we talked, I've probably been to three events. One was in Virginia at a track called VIR, Virginia International Raceway. One was in Atlanta at Road Atlanta, which is a very famous racetrack. And then uh, after that, last weekend, was at Barber Motorsports Park, which if you are a racing fan or have anything to do with racing, or if you're a fan of historic cars or motorcycles... The museum at Barber is unbelievable. The whole facility, I mean, it's. I've been to a lot of racetracks now, and that place is un-friggin'-believable. And the museum, uh, there are literally thousands, I don't know what number it is, but there's thousands of motorbikes in there. Uh, dating back to the 1800s, I think one of the bikes I saw was the very first motor-powered bicycle uh, ever made, and it was like 1876 or something like that. Um, uh, you know just incredible I mean unbelievable place whoever owns that place and I heard it's somebody who's in the dairy business big big dairy money but they have to be a billionaire and they have to be a huge enthusiast there's no way you could make your money back and to be honest the prices were extremely fair it was I think $15 or $16 to get into the museum and it's just it's unreal so if you're ever in the Birmingham Alabama area and you want something to do? I would suggest you check out this Barber Motorsport Barber Motorsports Museum, and um, you will not be disappointed. So, uh, but also, I will tell you that again, flights and um, even just being at events like that was pretty darn okay. You know, it's uh, the one at Barber, the race just this past weekend at Barber was open to fans and spectators. And uh, I don't know how many people were there. It had to be a few thousand. It's a pretty big track and, um, you know, pretty responsible people. I mean, a lot of people watched from Hills. They would kind of put out their blanket and separate by 10, 15 feet between each set of blankets, each family, each group. And um, anytime you were in restrooms or, sorry, bathrooms, I can't be Canadian anymore. Um, Anytime you were in bathrooms or a restaurant or concessions or anywhere where there could be a crowd, um, everyone was wearing masks. Everyone was very respectful of people's space. And, uh, you know, really, I mean, I know a lot of people who still haven't been anywhere. They're still locked up and or locked down, I guess, is the appropriate term. And, um, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that you should do anything that you feel uncomfortable doing, but I'm saying that it's okay. You know, it's, it's really, it's okay out there. So, um, another big thing. So today, as I sit here and talk to you, what is the date? I don't even know what the date is today because this COVID thing really has kind of got us all screwed up, doesn't it? It is the 6th. It's August 6th. And so today on August 6th, there is all kinds of activity going on in uh, the Senate and in Congress and, um, you know, with the government, with the Fed, basically, as it relates to COVID and as it relates to uh, additional packages to support businesses, to support people, workers, 1099, gig workers, etc., And um, we had uh, my weekly happy hour call last night with, I don't know, 60 or 70 people in the industry. And again, one of the people who joined us was Michael Strickland, who has been a saint for our industry or a... a guardian angel for our industry, um, a lobbyist, uh, uh, you know, just really a guy that's out there fighting for our entire industry and for the workers in our industry, for roadies, for lighting people, for sound people, for companies in our industry as well. And he's just done an unbelievable job. But, um, So Michael was on on this happy hour uh, Zoom call last night, and by the way, if you ever want to join our Wednesday happy hours, just shoot an email to geezers at gearsource.com, and we will add you to the invite. But uh, Michael was on, and he gave us all kinds of updates. Um, One of the things we're really hoping for is something called the Restart Act, which supports small businesses. It supports individuals. Uh, it really helps to get us all back to work, and one of the things that it does is it allows businesses to borrow up to 45% of last year's revenue, which allows those businesses to then invest in staff, invest in their business, in continuing their business to at least January of next year, but hopefully March of next year, when we really think we'll be uh, you know, back in, in a pretty good place. So um, you know, Michael keeps sending out these emails and asking people to please reach out to your local representatives or your state representatives. And I think that everyone should be helping with that by now. If you haven't got on Michael's email list to get that information, please again shoot an email to geezers at gearsource dot com and I will connect you. And uh yeah, that's about it on that topic. And then Lastly, there's uh, something going on right now that I'll call used gear gone wild. And um, what I'm seeing is, for the most part, large companies in our industry have be- behaved very well. You know there's there's been um, no real, let's call it pants dropping in our industry. Uh, occasionally, you'll see something, and it'll kind of you know raise your eyebrow a little bit, where you're like, "Huh? Are they really selling that product for that cheap?" And you know what? Occasionally, a buyer gets a really good deal, I guess. But for the most part, you know, my philosophy has been that when large companies go out and start to drop prices in the in- industry, two things happen. One is that those prices aren't going to go up again later. So it's not like you can suddenly go out and selling, start selling large quantities of things for half of what they normally sell for, and then expect that as the sun comes back out and COVID is gone, you're just going to double the price again. That's not going to happen. Secondly is you really kind of destroy the market for a product, not just on the used market, but also the new market when you flood it. And so I had one of the large companies out there. I'll never forget. One time came to me, and it was right before LDI. And he came to me and said, "Hey, we need to unload two thousand Mac two thousands um, quickly. What price does it need to be at?" And I just said, "Look, you know, two thousand Mac two thousands hitting the market is not a good thing because number one, nobody can buy that many. There's just nobody. There's." T- two or three companies on earth that can own that many Mac 2000s. So it's not like you're going to get somebody just come and write you a check, regardless of what the price is. And number two, that will not only screw up the Mac 2000 market for the next six or 12 months, but it could screw up, you know, the entire sort of used automated lighting market for that period of time. So, you know, you have to be patient and you have to be a little bit disciplined when it comes to the used equipment market. And that, I'm not saying that as a person who happens to make his living in the used equipment market. I'm saying that as a person who has a um, not only an investment in this industry, but also a love and, and passion for this industry. And I want this industry to remain healthy. So anytime prices drop quickly or quantities hit the market quickly it causes problems. It causes not just, you know, ripples, but it causes more of a tidal wave or a tsunami in our industry. And so the only thing I can say is that um, it's hard. I mean, I know it's hard right now. I know a lot of companies are sitting there looking at inventories, and some of these companies are large, and they're looking at a half a billion or more in inventory in their warehouse that's not out on tour, that's not out on big rentals. And they're saying, God, I sure would like to turn that into cash. Well, you know, first of all, there's no buyers for a half a billion dollars in in inventory. You just can't sell that quickly. And secondly, the impulse or the desire or the, the... uh, what do you call it? Um, the urge to drop pricing to a point where it just sells, no matter what, because this is part of the sort of mandate that goes downhill. Is I don't care, get it sold, get it gone, and so then you start seeing, uh, you know, moves that don't necessarily make long term sense. And so I understand that some of us have to make some short term decisions right now. We got to make some decisions that impact today. In a positive way, and we can't wait and worry about tomorrow. And I get that, but when it comes to large, large uh, packages of used inventory, that just has such a lasting impact, not only on your company, on uh, that manufacturer, whatever product it is you're selling, but maybe on the entire used market for a long time. And even some of the, you know, some of the manufacturers are watching this used market and just going, Oh my God, you know, how are we ever going to sell new product back into this market when used product is, is dropping, um, you know, in large quantities dropping, you know, that heavily from a pricing standpoint. So, be patient, folks. Be disciplined. And, um, you know, the other thing is, and so a little bit of uh, self-promotion here, shameless self-promotion, Gear Source Marketplace is launching uh, this month, August 25th. It will allow companies to list your own product, to control your own payment, to control your own destiny as it comes down to your used gear. Uh, it's a very eBay or Reverb-esque uh, site, marketplace site, with all kinds of crazy tools, multi-currency payment processing, blah, 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 and huge security, uh, lots of tools, very cool site. I hope you will use it. So, you know, again, our, our mission is to keep pricing up and to keep all of the companies, not just the large ones, but keep everyone not only fed with used equipment sales, but also just keep you disciplined and, and not let the bottom fall out of the used gear market because that'll hurt us all. So with that, uh, today, a couple of very good friends of mine and people I respect very much in the industry have um, followed, not followed, I won't say followed, but they've taken the approach that, hey, we're going to be sitting around here for a while Uh, We've got all of these resources. What can we do? And they sat back and looked at it and came up with what I think is a pretty incredible uh, idea for a, here we go, using a word that has been overused recently, but a pivot. So they've pivoted a business that is used to making stages and especially these things called mega structures. And You know, creating those structures for Ultra and for all of these massive EDM festivals, for Super Bowl, for Coachella, for massive shows. And so instead of obviously creating these massive structures that are no longer needed or not currently needed, I should say, they have pivoted their business to create uh, medical containers. Well, they're creating modular container solutions. Uh, it's a company called mod pro services. And, um, so they're creating these modular container based solutions, which I think the very first, uh, utilization is going to be for field, uh, hospitals, portable hospitals for hospitals, basically to be deployed very quickly and, um, in a really, really cool way. So, uh, I guess uh, I just want them to talk about it, because I don't know enough about it. So this is Patrick Dearson and Andrew Gumper with Mod Pro Services. Hello, Patrick and Andrew. How are
1: you? Doing good. Yeah. Huh?
0: yeah.
2: Are we not playing
0: the music? I, I the music for... already happened. The music happened like a long time ago. I'll play it again at the end for you, just so that Fine. you uh, feel like you're a part of it, you know?
2: Whatever. Thank you. Yeah. Canadian tunes.
0: Yeah. Anyway, thanks for having us. Well, and try not to in- interrupt Andrew too much. Cause I know he's watching hockey on his, how big is that led screen in your backyard? Andrew. It's like a 15 foot diagonal. Yeah. So, y- you know, I'm going to tell my buddy Anthony, so he's going to like, wait till you go to sleep one night and <laughs> drop a crane over, over your fence in the backyard <laughs> there and move it into his yard.
1: That's also my other side hustle during all of this is I've started selling uh, backyard TVs. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's funny. It's perfect. It's hilarious. So for real, like people are actually buying LED screens for their
1: backyards? I have three people right now that we're in talks with that we're just working out budgets and sizes and placement.
0: (laughs) So are these just super rich people or are you actually finding a pretty inexpensive outdoor screen that you can use?
1: No, none of them. Huh. expensive but um it's um yeah it's a few you know a few people that in, want to enjoy their backyard more and have wanted to do it and so yeah. i did and really liked it
0: that's really awesome that is so cool like i you know i'm i'm uh i guess way less cool and all of that kind of stuff so i have one of those inflatable screens and a video projector that i'm still stuck with right and i remember when i got that my kid thought i was the coolest person in the world the coolest dad ever you know to to put up uh this thing by the pool so that he could do like dive in movies but you know now I'm that, a, it's fun. now i'm
2: an idiot compared <laughs> to you
0: <laughs>
2: there's always a bigger fish right there's gotta enjoy a the backyard <laughs> <You> gotta enjoy <laughs> so, the backyard he happened to have some led lying around for some reason and uh yeah use for it they all wanted true. to watch hockey so that
0: is true huh <laughs> So this is kind of cool, this whole hockey thing that's going on right now. Like I I actually, I didn't know at first because I'm just kind of busy and I haven't had time to figure it all out. But, you know, I happened to walk by the TV a couple days ago at like noon and I saw a hockey game on and it just happened to be my team, Calgary. And I was like, wait a second, what is this? Uh, You know, because one of the things about living in Florida and being a Calgary fan, as it would be if you were a Las Vegas fan or a LA Kings fan or whatever, Is the games come on really late, you know, and, and, uh, I mean, when there's games starting at 1030, I'm not watching the end of that game typically, but I've gotten old. My God, I'll be quiet, Patrick. (laughs) So, you know, it's pretty cool that like right now there's what, five, six, seven games a day or something. There's a whole bunch of them.
1: Five or six a day, like for 12 hours straight. Yeah. 12 hours of hockey a day. It's fantastic.
2: Yeah. And how long does this go
1: for? This goes till October, right? Uh, They're predicting finals somewhere ending late, you know, right around October. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then doesn't the season start? well <laughs> i don't think that's gonna happen
0: oh that's really <laughs> yeah i mean what a mess all of this shit is it's
2: just so it really crazy we, we, well we were talking about that the other day because we so we a bunch of us were um actually at andrews were watching the the knights game because it was the first knights game on uh, a monday yeah um and so we were hanging out in the backyard in the pool and stuff watching the, the game and um we we're talking about the like you know how what is the next iteration of the season? And Andrew brought up an excellent point talking about you, you know you do need downtime yeah you know, to to recoup and prepare to get ready. So I'm um, you know we're not really sure how they could go right into another season. I can't imagine they could because like.
0: Honestly, I've always said this playoff hockey to win the Stanley cup in hockey is, has got to be the most grueling sport there is. It really does. Yeah. These guys get to the, to the finals and they're missing teeth and got gashes all over their face. And, you know, I remember, was it Sidney Crosby who played like the whole last series with a broken foot and he just, you know, tightened his skate really tight so that the bones (laughs) didn't move and stuff. Yep. so uh you know hockey Power players through it they're just yeah. tough you know like a basketball player breaks his fingernail a little bit and gets a hangnail and he's got to take three games off or whatever but
2: uh i mean you know there's there's all of that and then you know there's this other part to hockey that is largely dismissed because you just oh it's well hockey by the way they're not just giant badasses beating the living snot out of each other doing with, with incredible stamina to do these short bursts of massive amounts of energy for a very long time, it's all done on two very thin blades of metal yeah. on a hugely slippery surface. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. just try doing that. Like, I, I, you know, I, I'm lucky if I can I skate backwards without yeah. breaking my head past ten feet.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what's it, funny?
2: I haven't skated since I was
0: a kid, and and I don't know, probably ten years ago. Now, when my son was little. He wanted to try playing hockey and it didn't go well. And, um, but so I put on skates, I had to go out and buy, you know, and I, I didn't even know what skates to buy anymore because they're so different. Like I remember CCM super tax were the skate, right? Well, go try buying those now. And it's like, you know, they're all molded and it's all this bizarre stuff with replaceable blades and all this shit. Right. So anyways, I bought a pair of skates and What I couldn't do, and I played hockey when I was a kid, but I haven't skated in, you know, I don't know, 40 years or something, right? And so I couldn't stop. Like, I couldn't force myself to do the sideways slide thing and stop. I mean, I had no trouble skating forward, skating backwards. I actually looked like I knew what I was doing, but I was too chicken to just go, you know, and stop.
2: I was and, never able uh, to do it. It always oh, freaked really? me out. Oh, I was total chicken shit about that. Yeah,
0: I, I just, I don't know. I wouldn't do it. So I was like trying to do this snowplow stop thing and, you know, just whatever. Anything I could just to slow myself down. Run into the boards, yeah. yeah. But I mean, well, I looked I'll, like a skater. i sharks, but I, look, I,
2: won't, I won't go I looked,
0: sideways on skates. Looked like a skater until I had to slow myself down. It was pretty weird. But yeah. Have so you I, ever
2: skated on, on glyce? I have, that, actually. That polymer? yeah yeah, yeah that was bizarre. I did that once. It was so weird. It is weird. yeah.
0: I skied on uh, like fake snow too, one time, and yeah. you know, where was that? I can't even remember where that was. I just remember doing it. It was somewhere in Europe.
2: Um in, in, in uh in,
0: in it was like Manchester. an indoor an indoor thing, like a big huge indoor thing. Yeah. I know they've got Manchester one in Dubai. It wasn't one. in Dubai. Yeah, Dubai has a cool one. Yeah, I, I haven't been to Dubai, so it wasn't that one. But
2: Manchester had one that um when we were on a tour stop once, a, a bunch of people went. Yeah. Did a day excursion to it and they said it was great. Yeah. It was it's like for, weird. You know, for a weird little yeah you know, afternoon junket. Well, you know,
0: I grew I grew up in Calgary and um There was, growing up, there was this hill called Pascapoo. And so it ended up being called Canada Olympic Park when they did the Olympics there in 1988. And that's the, you know, famous thing where the Jamaican bobsled team from Cool Runnings, the bobsled hill was on this Canada Olympic Park hill. They didn't keep the name Pascapoo?
2: It has such marketing potential.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what it was called when I grew up. But we, I used to leave school at you know 3 or 3 30 or whatever it was with my skis and jump on the transit bus on the calgary transit bus and go to Paskapoo and ski because it was open till 10 o'clock at night with lights and stuff and uh you know i would do that sometimes three times in a week um you know so kind of grew up not really needing those indoor snow places i guess
2: this is the kind of stuff that I didn't have as a kid. Like you, you have that had you know, all these friends in Southern California that had, you know, access to skate parks all the time and stuff. It was like such really cool stuff that you only saw yeah. in magazines. Yeah. In New York, you didn't have any of that shit.
0: No, no. Shit. no you guys had guns and. We had no guns. And you know, like, I mean, they were illegal guns. Yeah. But yeah. Not, you, know. you didn't grow up really going to like the shooting range and stuff. I mean I remember your crazy yeah. story that you told me when you were on the podcast and I was just like what? I just thought you were making it up as you went along but
2: No, no, no. Yeah, I mean certainly there you know there are ranges and there's you know there's there's private training stuff. But the you know the the gun laws in New York have always been so strict so. Yeah. You know, it's not um, you know it's, it's not as as there's not a familiarity to it um, that you see in other states you know like if you're in if you're growing up in Oklahoma it's a it's such a common thing and children are taught gun safety at a very young age and they go hunting and there's you know skeet shooting and things like that so it's a very different uh, yeah very different thing not not in New York no in New York we had you know it's New York is you, you don't really you don't truly realize how restrictive New York is with everything until you leave and, and go to other places and live in other places where the, there's so much freedom. Like, you know, in New York, um, you know, there's, there's so many restrictions just by going to the beach, you know, yeah. there's, there's no bonfires on the beach in New York. Um, yeah. you know, you, the kids do it, but it's illegal technically. Um, you mean you can't you know, this, fly
0: over, you can't fly over Manhattan in a helicopter and shoot at stuff. No, no, you
2: can't do any of that Jeez. stuff. You know, out here Boy, in Vegas you can do that all that? day long. It's fantastic. New York's so oppressive. What a joke, man. Who'd want really to live is. there?
0: So I, I don't know if I brought, I think I brought this up on our podcast, but I'll never forget when I first met Andrew, I was, uh, I think it was Martin or was it Comar? I don't even remember. I think it was Martin and I was at the Martin booth and, and Andrew I think was all of about 16 years old and comes strolling into the booth like he owns the world, right? And and he goes, I want to be your biggest dealer in New York. I'm going to own more of these fixtures than anybody in New York. And I'm like, okay, kid. And, uh, you know, so I, I think we ended up actually taking you seriously and sold you like a dozen lights or 20 lights or something. And next thing you knew, you had hundreds of them and you were actually the biggest rental house in New York for a moment there. So...
1: It it was a while ago.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Well, and you've obviously built a pretty nice company. So, you know, speaking of speaking of nice companies, and I know you've got a warehouse full of staging right now that probably isn't doing a whole lot of stuff and these mega structures and uh, video and, and everything else. So, you know, what's what's the outlook on that right now? Like, I mean, is it just the same as the rest of the industry? We're in a holding pattern.
1: Basically, yeah, it's you know a lot of cleaning, a lot of holding pattern, and yeah. then I've been doing a lot of just trying to think what else I can use gear for to make it work. So yeah. you yeah. know, hence the video wall in my backyard, and kind yeah. of getting into the world of private sales on that stuff. Yeah, um, and then like for the manufacturing, so uh, obviously we made we made our big pivot into making hospitals. Yeah. And
0: yeah, so, so why, why don't we dive right into that? Cause I mean, that's, that's obviously the big reason I wanted to get you guys on because you know, there's, there's been a few companies, I think in our industry that have made some notable pivots and there's other companies I think that have tried and fallen on their head, but um, you know, certainly upstaging has done really well building all the masks and the, the shields and all these different things out of, out of plastic and, uh, you know, they've really kind of found their calling and done really well with that. Um, aside from them, I mean, I've seen a few companies sort of try and do some things that maybe PRG's haven't PRG's done so some well. really
2: great yeah. stuff with their thermal scanners
0: PRG's, and things like that. That's, yeah, PRG's know. done that. And, you know, again, I mean, when you look at a company the size of PRG, that obviously doesn't move the sticks very much, you know, when, when
2: you're talking no, about no. Yeah, at thermal least it's scanners. A, yeah, but yeah. but they're they're what they've what they've done with that product though is they've they have created a product that is is useful and yeah. robust and can be um, recreated on mass very quickly, which is great. And right. I think as you know, I, I think there's a, a bit of a stall for them in in getting it out. Yeah. But I think once we start seeing venues open and the, the, what's, what it's going to take to shift into all of that stuff, I think there's going to be a huge market for that. People yeah. are really going to be scrambling for it because yeah. they're, you know, they're so, that's such a, a uh, venue focused business in general, just by the nature of what right. we do in this industry.
0: Well, that's just kind of like UVC as well. I know a lot of companies that have tried getting into UVC and not really done very well because you know, you're going out there and you're trying to sell UVC to a lot of businesses that really aren't fully open yet or not really mm-hmm. looking for that type of thing. And so I I know some have been a little bit successful. We've sold a little bit of it in my company, but you know, it's certainly not something that I've said, Hey, I'm going to focus my whole business on selling UVC
2: because there's just this massive market for mm-hmm. it. And yeah, uh, it's, it's rather focused in, and I think the, the channels in which you can make inroads become focused. And I think a perfect example of that is, uh, is Eric Wade um, doing the, the nemesis product that he, his team designed. Right, um, And because they do so much work with like the Cleveland Cavaliers and a few other uh, uh, sports franchises uh, I think they, they had a natural in yeah. with uh, saying, Hey guys, we've got, you know, they, they had a fast track into people that make decisions, which is kind of the key thing with anything that you, you pivot. Um, yeah. So, you be, know, you're hawking a product. you, yeah. you want to get to those right people and make right. decisions? Right. Of course. Um, you so, know, so they've had some success in that regard.
0: On the, on, so, you know, your business obviously is called mod pro services and, um, were you guys or Andrew, were you guys just kind of sitting around going, okay, I got this, this massive building that, you know, I can't really do much in right now. I've got all these people. Um, I've yeah, got so manufacturing you, the capabilities. Way
1: all, the way this all went down was, you know, first week of March, um, UltraFest canceled. And then that was followed up by a few other projects canceling and I kind of looked at it and went, okay, it's regroup time. I got to figure out, you know, this is, this is not going to be a short term thing.
2: Yeah. Dominoes
1: were falling. (laughs) The dominoes were all coming down and I was watching things, you know, pretty long-term away. Some that I was working for and some that were outside of my client list, but I was watching things get canceled far enough in advance to go, all right, this is going to sting and this is going to be around for a while. And I got to come up with a plan to a keep, you know, I've got a lot of just monthly expenses in rent and electric and building, you know, even if I was to just close the doors and hang on, there's still monthly expenses. Right. I have a lot of employees that I didn't want to just put them all out on the streets. Right. And So and you know, I wanted to keep busy. I am the worst at really being bored. I sat home bored for a couple of weeks, the beginning of quarantine, and redid my entire house. So (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things. Um in that first couple weeks I was racking my brain and we had done some kind of modular container stuff in the past and for what like production offices and
0: stuff like well, that, or
1: like a touring touring displays, uh, we did like a touring museum kind of thing, and so and we he's had- downplaying this. By the way,
2: <laughs> it was actually a very very cool project that they had done, and um, it th- the they had cool created this modular bunch of of containers that would that were completely custom built from the ground up that clicked together and formed multi level. Uh, art installation it was basically a, a gallery art gallery that oh was wow done. and then had a, a, a second tier to it that um, had some covering but was largely open and railings and everything and it was a sort of vip lounge area this wasn't how you just, did that super bowl show was it
1: no that no was that was different <laughs> yeah But Um, so
2: they had done it. The proof of concept was there because they had already made this. Right.
1: Well, basically the way it all came down though, is I saw that happen. Yeah. We had done that and I was watching, this was when New York was like, we need, you know, an extra 50,000 beds. And they were trying to put stuff in the convention centers and bring in ships and any venue they could take and turn into a hospital. They were trying.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I was watching it, you know, basically they were throwing millions and millions of dollars at it and it wasn't working at the speed that us in the production world are used to. And it was costing way more for them than it should have. And it was all just rental. Yeah. And they they weren't even getting the right product. They were getting pipe and drape and no medical grade stuff at all.
2: Yeah, the Brooklyn, the uh, yeah. the Red Hook terminal in Brooklyn, was turned into a, I think it was a 600 bed facility that was literally pipe and drain. Yeah, I that remember seeing that went in before any other infrastructure went in. So there, you know there there was there was other issues where they were they they were doing bids actually for lighting to to light it properly, and guys were going in. They're going, well, we have to dismantle everything if you want it because we can't access the ceiling. You've completely covered this place in a a maze of And entanglement of pipe and drape, and by the way, how is this helping contain anything? This just sounds awful. And we come to find out that they spent twenty one million dollars on pipe and drape. Jesus Christ! Which which even by somebody made some money. Javitz Centers uh, Union standards sounds a little expensive. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the moral of the story was I I went to the drawing board and came up with this idea, and then was on the call uh, with one of your weekly, you know. uh, Our weekly production call, happy hours. Oh, okay. It was was right around time, we were all kind of in that, all right, this is going to last, you know, a little while. And I kind of had this in the background, and I was working on it. And then...
2: We were talking about day 91. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That one, we were still talking about it. Yeah. And then lo and behold, the representative from AEG who was on had... Blurted out when we were talking about, you know, oh, things will get back to normal pretty quick, but, you know, some of this stuff's going to move. And he said, well, we have renegotiated as of yesterday, all contracts for 2020, re-signed for 2021. Yeah. And he went down the list of these very high level tours. Yeah, I kind of yeah. remember that moment. It was just kind of like gulp. Oh my well, God! Andrew and I remember it quite vividly because <laughs> yeah. the two of us were looking at each other on the screen. Obviously, we can't see, but but we each saw the look of horror in each other's faces. Yeah, uh, going wide eyed because we understood the gravity of what that meant. Yeah. That Okay. Well, well it, was right be
1: around, be it was right around, it was right before that, I think we had done, uh, I'd gone on a bike ride with, on the strip with Patrick and that was where I first discussed it with him. I'm like, Hey, I'm kind of working on this thing. And I think no, that's right. Yeah. we, were, think we were, This we, might be something we wanted to, you know, kind of yeah, sort of banging around the idea. Right. <laughs> and it wasn't, it was like, okay, yeah, we'll get to it. Whatever. And then that was the. You know, I think that was like a day later or something. And it was like, Oh no, we're okay, now this is full steam ahead.
2: Yeah. That, that call ended in within 35 minutes, Andrew and I were on the phone and said, obviously we need to immediately pivot our businesses into something new.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really looked like you guys pulled this together so quickly. Cause I remember, I don't remember which one of you it was. One of you called me and said, Hey, I'm working on something. I can't really tell you what it is completely right now. Um, but you know, I'll let you know soon or whatever. And then within days, it seemed like you had this killer website and a product and, you know, you hadn't built anything yet, but um, you know, you had the thing pretty dialed.
1: Well, that was actually the cool thing that we did is I, you know, we kept it all very quiet until uh, the website launch and all of that. We, we actually had a product already designed already in production and when the website launched, we actually had a product ready to deliver.
2: Right. Yeah, um, and that was that's that was kind of a, the directive, you know, internally when we did this because we, you know, you, you don't do something like this without research, obviously. Right. You know, if you're going to invest, you know, so much into manufacturing something like this for a completely different market, you you certainly want to know what you're doing you know and you're going to become subject matter experts on this stuff very quickly
0: yeah and well and I want to get into a lot of that detail but you know we're kind of talking in code here because remember people are listening they're not really looking at anything so what is it exactly we're building what is mod pro services
1: so the concept was we would build a modular hospital a rapid response hospital system that was able to be, set up on site in record time. And my goal was the under 24 hour mark. The first 24 hours is your biggest life-saving time. And whether it's COVID or whether it's a tornado, a hurricane, whatever, you've got to be able to turn around and set something up quick. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to design something that was more for the longer term, not just for COVID. Right. So that was why we went into all the specifications, all the building standards, all the fire standards, and made a product that is not just pipe and drape. Yeah. Um, And so we've designed a series of containers. They're all built from the ground up, and you can have a fully functioning hospital anywhere within 24 hours of arrival
0: so when you say we're, we're building containers from the ground up so you're not just taking old used shipping no. containers like a lot of people do right
2: no, we, we no that's the problem problem with the other competing products you know and that's that's what we we did a deep dive research into first was you know as with any product that you're going to dive into the first thing you want to understand is, well, what's the competition yeah. and what, what are the competing products within that marketplace? And we looked at all at just about every one we could find. And what we were, we, 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 we noticed two things in the marketplace. The very first thing was most people were, um, re, refurbishing shipping containers. Right. You know, everybody thinks that this is a great idea that you just refurbish stuff and, Oh, it's great for the environment. You just redoing it and it's inexpensive. Um, th- That's actually a very false reality in many instances because to repurpose a shipping container, all you're getting is the outer shell and the the structural frame of it. You still have to put a full infrastructure into it if it's going to be truly robust and useful. And and when you talk about modular housing, you know, you don't just put a shipping container, plop them on all together outside. If it's going to weather elements, it must be insulated and it must have, you know, plumbing. And there's all these things that have to go into it. And so we were looking at people like, you know, really they're, they're rather cavalier about this attitude about you just slap it around. Surely there's more to this, you know, and you start deep diving into that. The other thing we noticed was that it was very difficult to find any of these companies that were showing an actual manufactured product. The majority of them are just renderings. Hmm. And they're very good renderings, but the renderings nonetheless. And we we noticed that the, f- the very few companies that actually did produce a product, the, the products were, they were fine. They weren't knock-it-out-of-the-park great solutions. There were still... Uh, a lot of infrastructure that we were looking at that wasn't there. And so as as we started to come up with well what's the ultimate product? It we we looked at well let's look at what the true needs are to be able to deploy this type of thing quickly and what that ultimately was was meeting the Army Corps of Engineers standards for remote field hospital. Setups, and, and why
0: specifically that, Patrick? Why why Army Corps of
2: Engineers? Well, f- first and foremost, there are very few government contracts in th- in regards to this type of thing that will even be considered. Without meeting Army Corps of Engineers standards, okay. it okay. is the standard to which the United States um, sets for all of this type of thing. And in general, the United States is looked at as uh, being the tip of the spear and being able to to do this this type of work. Right. Um, so their standards are very stringent and they're very complete. And um, you know, it, it goes from everything from uh, specifying precisely how many laboratories for a certain number of medical staff on site need to be available, devoted to them, all the way up to dealing with fire suppression and how that has to go in. And when you start looking at something that is uh, any sort of containerized solution or not, um, when, you, when you try to lay out a site and actually build it, you realize, yeah, no wonder it takes two weeks to create a field hospital. There are a ton of uh, very specific standards that must be met and signed off upon um, for reasons of both general public health safety as well as that of of staff members that are providing the services with right, us. Right, right, right. So that was the big push. So when Andrew you know brought this together, he the, the key thing was when we spoke about it, it, it we we realized we need to put together a phenomenal team of people that can not only act quickly but are also the pinnacle of specialists within their area of expertise to engineer this because we're not just doing a rendering design here we're we're engineering something from right. the ground up right yeah and we have to build these from the ground up or else, they're, you can't meet these standards. So, an average shipping container wasn't going to freaking cut it. You had to, to well, build this up. And, and you know, obviously, I
0: mean? Andrew, from your background, building or your 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 real job, I should say, building these mega structures. Not only did you know how to build a safe structure from a you know an engineering standpoint, something that's not going to fall over and crush and kill people, but you know, obviously, where to get the metal, uh, how to work with the metal, how to, like, you knew that business. That's a big part of your business well, that, already. And
1: the, the biggest kill for using an existing container is the second you cut a hole inside of a container, it's useless.
0: Oh, that's interesting, right? It changes the engineering, different. right?
1: It changes yeah. the engineering. So yeah. even if you're going to weld stuff around it and make it reinforced, great. Now it has to be retested. Wow. And every one of them would have had to be retested.
0: So let me ask you, on these containers, are the, is there like basically a standard box and then from there you go into your eight different
1: models or whatever? So we have one container chassis design, which is the main, you know, the eight corners of it, yep. top and bottom corners, the floor, the roof, and then...
0: So that's all the same no matter what,
1: right? All that's the same, and then there's... We can place walls and floors and you know anything we want in and around it. And that's all on a per design basis.
0: Interesting.
2: So
1: ultimately what we
2: ended up with through the, the design and engineering of these were four models that can then be erector it together to fulfill the needs of everything on a site. So the most, I guess, complex model we have are the laboratory modules. And the key thing to remember is that with all of these modules, they have plumbing, electrical, uh, HVAC, and, and fire suppression built into them. Right. So, so all of that's, that's taken. And that's something table, I'm really curious about because
0: you know, I'll give you an example. So one time I I was looking for an office space and I went to a building that was this really cool, super state of the art lead building, right? And it was this building that had a center core that had elevators in it and that kind of held the whole building together, but every floor could be completely designed however you wanted it basically. And it was yep. like a typical office building, but every floor. So they had these channels through the floor that had air conditioning, electric, uh, et cetera. And you could just basically click attachments onto them. Oh, I need a, an air conditioning outlet right here. I need a, a quad uh, you know, electric outlet right here. I need computer outlets right here.
2: And um, it was just totally a modular building. Yeah, and it's it's great, and there's there's been amazing advancements in that over the years, right. and which a lot of which, by the way, come out of ironically enough, living here in Vegas, a lot of it comes out of casino design, right? Because that's how they do the flooring. You know, you walk through a casino, you it's just you know gaudy carpeting and and very confusing maze of small aisleways. Yeah, but the reality is, you can rip all of that up, and it's a giant grid right. of electrical IT layouts because all of this stuff needs to be now networked and powered and and they want to re redo that floor um as they redo other elements within the casino over time and so so having these modular layouts but is that the
0: sort of concept that these are built on like do they all have runways uh, of cabling and runways of air conditioning the
1: the structure is the consistency Between all of them. And then each one, each model has its own dedicated electrical.
0: Okay. So you couldn't convert one into the other, for example?
1: Not, not really. It's not really designed that way. Right. Um, You know, while we're building them, it's more efficient this way. The other thing, there are such standards when it comes to a hospital bed and the electric wire has to be a certain wire the outlets have to be two separate electric panels right. you have to have a sink in there at this position you need a nightlight you need you know a bedside a call light. station yeah, yeah, yeah. call yeah. station like there's so many unique things to each of them right that if we were to put everything into everyone so that yes these were truly you know, yeah, they just make the
0: cheapest one twice as expensive. Exactly. exactly. Right, yeah, because yeah, it'd be over-engineered for its purpose. Yeah. 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 No, that I mean, makes perfect sense.
1: already over-engineered. Yeah, but it,
0: well, I know you too. I could only imagine. So, <laughs> so are these things designed for temporary use or for permanent use in places where, you know, there wasn't a hospital, for example?
1: The easy answer is yes.
0: Right, either um, one.
1: Either one. I mean, yeah. these are designed to go in place and go up quick. And you can either leave it there for a week, a day, a month, or years. Permanently, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're designed to last, but they're also whenever you decide and get bored with it, pick it up, move it, and take it to the next place. And you know, the business plan for this is is not for COVID.
2: Right, and and that's that's the important thing to understand. This is, we we designed something because be, because of COVID and all of the things. Obviously, we saw a need, but in doing this, we realized well, you know, you can go down the path of this, and you know, at, at that early in. The process of of what we're in of this pandemic, we you know as we were talking ninety one days great yeah we, we got to yeah. figure out day ninety one why was that well, we wrong. didn't we didn't know but <laughs> it, great so this this is continuing perhaps yeah. that could be good for this business unfortunately but the reality was we decided we were going to go down this path as a pivot and create something that was not specifically for covid but for emergency disaster response
0: well and that's obvious by the amount of money and effort and engineering and and time and everything that's being put into this like this isn't a six-month part-time gig you know that you then toss
1: out here to stay and yeah yeah Also, just the tip of the iceberg of what we've got we've also designed an entire hotel system and crew berthing and crew bunk kind of system and you know like it's it's a larger platform of rapid response venues and buildings that we can create yeah med 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 mods
2: are a product of mod pro services it's just one it's it's one in a line of products that we're doing so we also have lux mods which are this is is what we're actually uh, redesigning some of that today um that is a, a, a very similar setup. It's all based off of the MedMod mod framework. Um, and these are containerized solutions that can all click together and become a luxury hotel on a festival site.
0: Yeah. That's very and, cool. That's such and, a, cl- you know, you I was reading that on your website. Very Uber good. Idea. VIP.
2: Yeah. Saying. yeah. Then we have fire mods. Um, you know, one of the things it's that it's not spelled made, with a Y is it, no it is not thank god <laughs> um now Just fire can't. mods once again in in there to serve disaster response and uh, and first responders we were uh well andrew was talking to uh, a few of the the fire personnel here in town because mm-hmm. he obviously deals with them very often um and we've had some wildfires that are breaking out in the the Southwest and right here in Vegas, we had another big one last month and they said, you know, one of our most difficult challenges in fighting the fire is that the only place we can berth the staff is an hour away from the response location. If we had a version of your med mod thing that could just stay on a trailer, be driven very close to an emergency site and left there, you take the power unit away and just leave that there. And if we had a birthing unit, lavatory, and a mobile command center there, we'd be able to, to respond to these emergencies with with much more speed and accuracy. Right. Because we're losing so much time just shipping staff back and forth to get them up there to change these shifts. So that that brought obvious need to developing FireMod. Um, yeah, that so actually
0: reminds me. I I I know some guys in Canada who build modular st- structures for um, oil uh, oil fields, basically for either offices or housing or whatever it is. And um, I really should put you two together because uh, number one, yeah. it might be a big it's opportunity nice too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's. Uh, Although that industry isn't doing that well right now either, but these guys have been doing this for a while and and I think they've got a pretty cool handle on it. So, you know, I'm still curious about the construction of these things. So if I'm going to, if I'm, you know, you guys have designed a structure that's, you know, 10 units, for example, is there some kind of a cool connection system where these things all connect together for electric and Wi-Fi and whatever else, or are they all just independent or how does that all work?
1: Um, so it's, I mean, we used our production background in this, so it's, you know, the networking is all fiber connections. It's all, um, the power is all cam lock and the plumbing is all quick release connections on both, uh, water feed and drainage.
2: Right. I so you can it's serve.
1: Much. You can serve an individual
2: unit, or you can link units together and serve them from, cool. say, a main source. Yeah, very cool. And that's that too is another bit of flexibility when you just start discussing the Army Corps Engineer standards of how this is done. Sometimes you would find yourself in a situation where you just want to deploy these inside, say, a giant convention center because you want the containment ability. Um, right. Well, in those situations, you have much easier access to um, to, to shore power, to a, a hard line for, for potable water and things like that. So that becomes a lot easier. You're just linking them together and dealing with that. Um, if you're in a remote area... And it's it's a true field hospital. Obviously, you're going to need to serve these things a little differently. So it offers the flexibility for that. Right, right, right. But we're looking at at where we would use these things. You know, you have the opportunity, obviously, for for COVID release, uh, COVID relief, doing long term acute care, which is a, a a very needed service right now. Um, but then we started researching other. Disasters where these hospitals were truly needed and needed in a much quicker fashion. And um, and we also did a ton of research talking with different people in different medical roles around the country. So for instance, we had some people in Oklahoma that said, you know, one of our biggest issues is that we have uh, throughout Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, West Texas areas, this whole region has such remote and rural communities that they don't have access to proper medical care without an hour or two-hour drive in some instances. Hmm. The ability to set up a a system like this obviously offers a lot of attractive medical response in rural areas. Um, We looked at the... I mean, so I'm sure many people will remember that the Joplin, Missouri tornado that yep. tore through, I think it was like, what, 2010 or 11, I think it happened. Um, you know, that went through, that devastated their only major hospital. It it took it out completely. You look at wow. the, the, the pictures from that, you know, the cars are flipped upside down in the parking lot, everything, the building, the sides of the hospital ripped off. You know, it rendered that hospital... All but completely useless. Well, that's the immediate response. You need help yeah. right then and there. So you can have a disaster like that take out your major medical facility and then, you know, very quickly deploy these and build them up so that within, you know, and, and when we talk about a, a 24 to 28 hour period of building these out, we're basing that on what we would consider a 52 bed medical facility. You know, and 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 these are completely scalable, so you can go up much higher and lower with that. Um, but for for about 52 beds, with all of the support structure that needs to be built into the system, with uh, with laboratories and room for staff and and uh, command stations and things like that, uh, you can do that and deliver it from arriving on site to passing off to the medical staff to be outfitted internally within approximately 24 to 28 hours. That's insane. And that's, that's unheard of.
0: Yeah. And, well, that's, know, that's eventually right. That's once you guys have built up a, a warehouse full of these.
1: Well, chassis so as Andrew the, called the design them. of this whole thing. And you know, I'm not looking to be in the rental market on these. I was going to ask you
0: that if this is a rental uh, no, okay. model I, or a sales model,
1: this is a sales model. And, the people that I'm selling them to are the rental companies. They are either the disaster relief companies or the actual militaries and governments that need them. Okay.
2: Um, navigating the, the, the contracts process for government contracts, um, really does require a lot of specialization. Anybody that's, that's gone through this process understands that. And a lot of the, uh, well, I should say all of the, Disaster response companies that are associated with um, with with FEMA contracts, Department of Homeland Security contracts, any agency contract, they know that they have to go. Th- they're, they've already been vetted at this point because that's what they do for a living. So yeah. they, they know how to navigate that. They understand how to fulfill a contract and make sure they've got everything that is required. So this is is to sell to. Companies like that would serve that because um, this is just a tool to put in their arsenal to be able right to right. No, that makes perfect. It's sense. inappropriate for you know companies in our industry that are. Or, I mean, I do think you'd be very hard pressed to find you know a company that specializes in in dealing with government. Well, and like I, I there think there where where
0: them. you fail is when you try to be you know, everything to everyone and, and right. okay, yeah, we got rentals over here. We got sales over yeah. here. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this. Instead, and, just and team up with is- the guys who know and, and, you know, share the wealth with them. Right. Exactly. And, yeah.
1: and then the other thing that we can offer though, is we are here to support and we do have the infrastructure and the crew and the people and the gear to help set these up on site. And if someone says, Oh yeah, I just bought these, but I don't know how to set them up. I don't have the people come in and you do it. We can take care of it. Yeah. You know, but they actually would be the one that owns the product. And, and this was a big,
2: this, uh, that's a, a, an excellent point of this whole thing because there was a massive push that Andrew and I had discussed very early in this. That was, you know, and we've, we, we've, we've been through this process now. So it, we, we tend to, to stray a little bit from one of the major motivators to this. We, are wildly concerned about our industry and the people that work in our industry. And, you know, we have not been able to generate work for people because of the nature of what's happened to the live events industry. Right. And we, we looked at this solution and went, my God, we had, we can put an entire workforce back because this is what they do already on festival sites. They build The stuff, they build out these trailers and things. And this is absolutely within their lane. And it's just, we're just not, Putting speakers up and throwing a show—we're right. here to save lives, so we can really start utilizing an entire workforce that is currently sitting idle and have the potential to get them out there and doing oh, that's, this. That's amazing. whether they're the ones doing it or the ones training others to do right. it to get them ready to take it on themselves. I
0: mean, that's was, a, obviously one of the cool things. Is you know, I mean. People talk about so many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in our industry losing their jobs and just sitting around. And I talk to these people who, you know, like even talking to Cosmo. Cosmo's such a positive guy. And yet you talk to him and he's just, you can tell he's literally pulling his hair out because he's never been home this long. And a lot of people in our industry. And so there's so much pride and passion in this industry. And so when people are out of work, it's just so sad to see because they just don't know what to do with themselves. So, you know, that's super important is just giving people a purpose, you know, and, and getting them. And I mean, especially when you're helping and saving lives and, you know, this whole medical thing is, is so important. And honestly, like when you guys first told me about it, one of the things that I was concerned with is everybody was jumping on this COVID thing and, You know, a what happens when it's gone, but also b like the media kind of over, uh, I guess, overestimated the need for hospital beds initially there, you know, oh, my God, hospitals are overwhelmed and it's going to be terrible and people will be laying in the streets and all this stuff. Right. And that never happened. And so now it's more about being able to deploy into certain areas where it's needed as opposed to, you know, putting tens of thousands of hospital beds in New York City or whatever, being able to set up a field hospital in, like you said, Oklahoma or in
2: wherever, you know. Bumfuck, you know, Wherever there's a disaster, like <laughs> yeah. this, this, can be there to help. Whether it's a, a an earthquake, a hurricane, a tornado, a wildfire. You know, yeah. Name you know name your name your problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you you do require medical infrastructure, and it is such an important thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, as you said, there's a you know we, we, one thing that we've proven throughout the pandemic is that we we go from these two extreme ends. We go from a massive over-response to an under-response. And, you know, it it sways each way. So you have this massive over-response of, oh, we need a million beds. But then there's the under-response of, oh, well, we've just shit out over $20 million for pipe and drape. Well, yeah. the medical community is looking at going, that's great, but that's completely inappropriate for what we need to do. You're going to create a bigger problem by utilizing it. You exactly. Know I mean? It's yeah, a very exactly. difficult thing. Another thing that um, was a huge push for this one was we were designing it and, and the um, talking to the medical professionals. It was very interesting to hear the medical professionals take vary from region to region. One of the things we were hearing quite a bit about in the Northeast region early in the pandemic was the need for, as I had said earlier, long-term acute care, which are LTAC facilities. Um, that that term is basically utilized. I mean, to, to, to really dumb it down in a layman's terms, it's the Long-term acute care is utilized for, in in this regard, if you come off a ventilator, we got to get you out of the ICU, but then we need to put you in a regular room where you need constant monitoring. And then you're at that cusp where you're not ready to be sent home yet, and we still want to contain you a bit, but we just need you out of the hospital because we need to free up these beds for people that that are, are, are are. earlier in the stages of a problem and they, they need more care. Um, We saw a big problem in New York when uh, the governor Cuomo went through this horrible problem of the elderly being denied their beds coming out of the hospital. Yeah. And what, what we were seeing was the, uh, the, the, the assisted living facilities were trying to give away the elderly's bed. So if they get, went into the hospital for COVID, the assisted living hospitals would be very quick to give that bed to someone else because obviously you're not there, the money's not flowing, right? right. And so the the elderly were coming out of the hospital and not, and not having a place to go back to. So wow. they, homeless elderly. Oh, this isn't going to work. And you know, there was there there were cries of corruption for this saying, you know, there there were accusations that uh, oh well, you know, a lot of these people are Medicaid Medicare and then you've got tons of people with private health insurance and that pays vastly more. So of course they're going to fill that bed with a private insurer and blah blah blah, right? Well, of course the governor must step in and put a mandate down. You know, he's got to stop corruption or or head it off at the pass. So Cuomo said, you know, this is not going to work. It's illegal. You're not, you you must take these people back to their beds. Right. Well, we did that. And unfortunately in the, the midst of this, there were bad tests that were giving false negatives in a lot of these instances. So, Elderly that were actually still communicable were being let back into assisted living facilities. Yeah. I mean, there are these horror stories of these facilities being wiped out. There's of course. You know, people yeah. screaming, you've, you've killed my grandmother. And so now you have a politician that has been put into a double bind situation. And there's, there's no winning. You know, it's, it's only a loss. He's damned if he, he lets these people back in. He's damned if he doesn't take action about letting these people back in. He can't win. And you know, this is something I've always touted throughout this pandemic: is we've we've asked we, we're at we're facing something that that we quote unquote call unprecedented, and we get a little numb to an overused word, but our leadership is in fact dealing with something unprecedented. And you know, regardless of how we may personally feel about their, their handling of things, the fact of the matter is none of these people ever dealt with it in their lifetimes. They've never dealt with anything at this magnitude with such ambiguous complexity. And we're asking them to make decisions in rapid fire time you know, these guys don't even get a chance to think about it. They just got to do it and react. Yeah. And then we scream and yell about them for making the wrong decision. Right. And in most of these instances, such as this, there was no right decision. You, you, you couldn't know that those tests weren't working. Yeah. You know, so what trusting. was
0: what was the problem that you could be a part of solving in that situation? Though? Well, so
2: in the, in that regard, the the one thing that most medical experts seem to agree is that time heals. And the more time you spend isolated... And in a care facility, a long term care facility, you have a a much better uh, way of not being communicable by the time you walk out of there. Right. But then there's also this big push of like, okay, well, we are running out of hospital beds. We do got to get people out of here. But where are you going to put them If, if 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 there's a chance that they're still communicable? Well, if you put them in a field hospital that's appropriate. And made properly and can deploy quickly well this can be set up in an area an unused area such a parking lot or a park or you know whatever that may be and you can have an infinite number of of patient rooms to keep these people for another week two three whatever it may be before allowing them to go back so it's it adds another significant layer of safety yeah before you can you
0: know no i mean that's that's amazing and that's that's obvious but again i mean the the more impressive thing to me is that you guys have kind of literally kind of thought outside the box here and and figured out some other uses for like you said vip suites hotels um you know i could see for disaster relief like you know when they bring out these cruise ships to New Orleans or to Florida or whenever there's a hurricane coming through and they think they're going to use a cruise ship for extra hotel rooms, um, it usually ends up being a waste of money. But you know, the fact that you guys could actually, uh, you know, probably create, you know, one container that's got four little rooms in it or three little rooms in it. I don't know if you've already worked on something like that, but you know, there just seems to be endless possibilities for it. As long as you can build it you know, well and, and efficiently and then deploy it really quickly. Uh, you know, that to me is the answer to, to everything. So,
2: yeah, it was, it was certainly a, a it was a perfect storm for this because, you know, people don't, I don't think people really understand the Andrew's success and what the capabilities are at his company. Um, You know, it tends to to get lost, I think, a bit in the mix where people don't realize. But, you know, Andrew has this massive 250,000 square foot Space that does, isn't just a warehouse. There's a rehearsal space in there with full offices for production personnel. There's a full manufacturing facility. He's doing all you know that mega structure. They're making that yeah, in house right know, there. I know, it's incredible and, and I don't think people really understand the level of manufacturing that AG Production Services. Does that they're they're not just you know lighting and video and some staging and this this you know big arch thing that shows up at some events like it, 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 he has amazing levels of ability there and so when this came around it was like wow we we have a resources sitting here this is this is an engineer's playground. Right now, because yeah. it, it's doing fuck all, and we can make something really cool. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the things Andrew and I discussed—we were talking about figuring out how to do this. We were talking about assembly line layouts, and Andrew had this—you know—he's really good with this vision of of figuring out the the modularity of his own space. He said, so, well, "Well, we'll we'll turn these two bays down the whole run of the warehouse into layers of the manufacturing process," and I realized. That if, if we have that and then I'm looking at the rest of this warehouse that's really just filled with a whole bunch of metal that's not doing anything right now. And I said, well, what's to stop us from continuing that? If we get a big enough order to, to do this and this ramps up, we can literally turn this into a Boeing-like manufacturing facility very easily because all of this is just pushing these metal boxes around and we have the stuff to do that right here we've got tons of motion control and trussing and steel beams and we can we can just keep going there's no no stop to yeah. it all we got to figure out to do is what we're going to do with all this other metal that we're not using until you know next year, well, we can stash yeah. that anywhere.
0: Yeah. So w- when you guys first started designing this stuff and putting it all together, I, I assume a business plan of some sort was thrown together. And knowing you guys as well as I do, it was probably you know less of an important part of it all than getting the thing right. I mean, you probably were Uber focused on just building the right product. But and, can I assume was- that you were also looking at? you know, what the market value was, like what people were willing to pay for this kind of thing, what your competitors were pricing similar product at. God. Um, yeah. yeah. Andrew
1: could speak yeah. more to that, but yeah, I kind of was keeping an eye on the numbers and definitely what I, my, my vision on all of this is I wanted to start with a Rolls Royce. Yeah. I wanted to put everything in it and we can always dial it back. Right. Right. Now, if it costs too much. We can always look at it and go, you know what? we don't need this. We don't, you know, the insulation we've got, you know, it's like almost $20,000 worth of insulation that goes in the wow. thing. It's all 110. You know, this thing will work in the Antarctic or in Vegas. Right. But, you know, that's a level of, yeah, that costs a fortune. Right. But it's the Rolls-Royce and we're going to hit every single notch of these things have to operate anywhere. These things have to, you know, meet all the standards and that's just along the list. And, yeah. you know, at the end of it came up with a number and yeah, the number shocked me a lot more than I think I was expecting.
0: Can can we discuss that number? Or is that not something we want to talk I mean, about you here?
1: You know, it's each container yeah. is roughly a $300,000 container.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're talking about the medical business though. So this That's yeah. not a lot of money, right?
1: A full 50 bed facility is between 12 and $15 million, depending on if you're in a, you know, attaching to an existing facility and using some of their infrastructure or standalone, you know, in the middle of nowhere.
0: Well, and typically you guys are providing these, I'm guessing you're providing these full turnkey, right? So it's got hospital beds and lighting and all the things.
1: It has everything except for the beds, actually. Okay. Um, the beds are a very unique thing. Each hospital system has tremendous amounts of beds. Right. They use them for all their different patients. And- well,
0: yeah, and you wouldn't you wouldn't want to provide an X bed and it, they want the Y bed or whatever,
1: right? Is- yeah. Well there's
2: quite quite frankly, there's there's a, a more pointed issue there. And that's the politics of dancing. Yeah. When you're discussing doing business with the government and doing business with companies that specialize in government contracts for disaster relief, the first thing you realize is that they have a network, just like anybody in business has a network of providers and partner suppliers. Uh, that's very much a part of the field hospital industry. And it it often is, is mission specific as well. Right. So you know, you you may need to provide full operating rooms. Well, we are not in the operating room business, but there are companies that absolutely specialize in that and are specifically partnered with disaster relief companies to provide that. And the same goes for bedding and for nursing call stations for full monitoring and yeah. the wireless monitoring that's done in modern hospitals and you know, all of those things. We're we're providing a service of the containerized rapid deployment solution. We are not looking to step on the toes of those that are providing those services already. Right. So we're right. keeping. No, that, that makes very perfect open. sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
1: And, and this is the same delivery that if you were to you know buy a hospital or have a hospital built anywhere, it's you're buying the building and then you have to outfit it with the beds. And right. Of course ventilators and everything else that right. goes along. With it. But what about things
0: and like communication systems? You know, I don't know if there's like have, call systems and stuff. Does that get built we into
1: it? You have all of that built in, but that is one of those things that can easily be user supplied or. Right. Changed. Right. By code, we are required to have a system built into it.
0: Yeah. It seems like you would be like, that there's wouldn't no be an add on. Says
1: I have to put a bed in it. You right. Know? Right. But In order for it to get certified, it has to have a nurse call, you know, pull string whenever you're sitting on the toilet and your heart doesn't feel right.
0: Right. So so how many times have you sat on the toilet and then called uh Patrick from the I mean I did have to
1: test it, you know.
0: (laughs) So I mean very thorough. (laughs) The the price that you just mentioned probably answers this question for me, but will we see you know, ultra VIP rooms and like a cigar room and a, a whiskey room and a fricking whatever room.
1: So, I mean, the good thing about the hotel and other side of things is you are not required to put hospital grade finishes. Right. In. Right. So so that it's a yeah. very different animal. Yeah. It is a very different animal. I'm not saying it's going to be, You know, it is still a you know an expensive piece. Right, insulation is going to be there no matter what. Yeah, but everything else that goes into that container. You know we're not having to use top dollar flooring and walls that are antimicrobial well, even
0: the lighting even the lighting doesn't have to be lighting. the Everything. same cri yeah. and stuff yeah no i completely get it it'll it'll just like it'll still have uh climate control and plumbing and some of those of things course. but just at a different level and for a different purpose so
1: exactly.
2: and by the way you know we we, we we talk about these numbers. So, you know, Andrew and I started going through this. He starts talking to me about some of this. And we start doing the math. And, and you know, you have that initial sticker shock. where You go, oh, my God, that's a lot of money. But, yeah. But wait a minute. You know, so-and-so just spent $21 million on this pipe and drape thing. And drink, and it's right. a one-shot deal. Yeah. This could have done that. And they then had it to use it again. Like, you could be consistently redeploying these. You know, these things are are not one-use facilities they are built to stand the test of time so you know you you make this investment you know we we we're, we're engineering this to be a 10 to 20 year life before so, you start redoing the interior that's a great
0: point retro- so now is there a um like a, a transport system for these things where like there's a roll on or roll off truck where you know they can put them down for a certain period of time in one location, on, and then they can remove it's them. So it's built-
1: the transportation system is the intermodal network of container moving.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, it's built on the ISO shipping standards. Oh, perfect. All yeah. Of it. Yeah. And no, so, and, and Andrew, because I always screw this up, Andrew, how many how, how how many high can we stack this on a ship? Is it thirteen? Home?
1: So yeah, thirteen tall on a ship. It could be the bottom container of a a container ship at the highest standard. Mm. And then based on that, we can operate these six tall. So we could do a six story tall hospital out of these.
0: Very cool. That is outrageous. Well, and then how do you get between the stories though? Have you guys created a modular elevator?
2: Yes. (laughs) Get out of here.
1: Designed of elevators and stairwells. That's
2: insane. Yeah, which is which plays very much into the 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 lux mod. Uh, of course, yeah, that's thing, you know because so cool. you want to do a multi level luxury hotel out of it. Um, you know, in 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 a hospital situation, doing multi levels uh, adds a layer of complexity um, in, in how you move patients around and the ability to do so and, and things yeah. like that in a temporary facility. Um, not it's, it's absolutely achievable and we've designed the plans to, to do right. all of that. Um, but so in a, in a, a, a hotel situation, it's yeah. much more forgiving. And yeah. Very different. Do. Yeah. So Patrick,
0: you being on the biz dev side of this thing, you know, obviously because you have the gift of much gab, um, you had to be a little bit, nervous and then like, holy shit, when you were in your first meeting where you were nervous, like, I can't believe I got to throw this number out there. And then they didn't even flinch. They just kind of wrote it down on the page next to what they're ordering for lunch or whatever. Right. And, uh, I mean, that had to be, that had to be kind of a feel good moment.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, in in terms of being scared, you know, we, we were scared, talking to each other, Andrew and I, like we were talking about this at first. And then it was really like, I'm looking, you know, I took a breath and was like, well, you know, then again, this is completely justified in looking at, uh, certainly recent financial trends of what's happened, you know, amidst this pandemic crisis, but also looking back to, um, my older days involved with government agency work and, the amount of money that was spent, well, hell, just, just spending money on my training alone, much less what, you know, say like what Navy SEALs get, yeah. <laughs> you know, a budgeted, you know, back in, in, to put it in perspective, back in 1991, it cost $1.2 million a year per navy seal to maintain their operational what? capability standards that's crazy now now we're we're, we're what are we, we're 30 years later we've done this for the longest war wars in american history we've been in a constant state of war since 2001 and you can imagine the money that's been and spent. we wonder why we're broke yeah, well, it's, there's a lot to that, you know, and, and yeah. so you add inflation, you add the technologies, um, you know, current uh, current night vision for most tier one military units is is utilizing a uh, what what they call a panoramic uh, six gun system, and you know most people would would see that in um, uh, the. the Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, you know, you see the the Bin Laden raid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. going yeah. In, right? They so they got they got these these night vision goggles, the Pamarack system, or these these multiple multiple goggle things shooting out of their heads, six yeah. gun deal. Uh, that's forty five thousand dollars. In <laughs> fact, I think it was sixty five back then when uh, you know in, in the early 2000s.
0: So three hundred grand for a kick ass hospital uh, modular unit. You know, yeah, it, nothing.
1: It, and the other thing, I yeah, it's the, a different. To more Not only justify it But just in my own head To justify it Was I looked up What it costs To build a permanent hospital Yeah, yeah. And we're Considerably less actually
0: Yeah Yeah Which is incredible really say. Yeah so, so who, yeah, so, who, who built the website or, or who like, I mean, to me, like I look at your website and it looks like you guys have been in business for 10 years. You look like a technology company. That's really smart. I like the logo. I like well, the colors have,
2: actually. <laughs>
0: no, no. I mean in this business, in this business for 10 years. Yeah.
2: Well, well we, we kind of have, I yeah. mean, the, the fact of the matter is we're in the manufacturing business and you know, it's, it, this isn't, this isn't smokescreen. It's not a lie. Uh, you know, Ag production services had created these before, and you know, it, the, you know what it, I mean. Concept. Yeah, yeah, I get it. it's just like um, the site itself
0: just really looks together. The video videos you guys have done the. Just everything about it. Like I'm a website guy. So, you know, for well, me, so I look at this course. site and it feels expensive. It feels like you guys have done it right. You know, it doesn't feel I'm not saying you're a fly by night company. It doesn't feel like a, you know, a startup um sort of business it just feels really kind of expensive oh, you and didn't cool. see the
2: first website didn't. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. yeah yeah well we all got to <laughs> yeah, start that, somewhere. that was the original right yeah you got to start yeah. somewhere and yeah. so when we realized okay we're doing this for real um it, you know we we yeah, immediately well we we need a web presence so people we, have expectations we your need clientele logos, is we need, high yeah, end yeah the whole nine yeah you Be right, and I said, you know, we really do need to uh, for the people that you're going to speak to. You got it has to look appropriate and yeah, hit the mark. So um, I had slapped together a a very quick website just to have a web presence um, that wasn't nearly as nice, and and uh, it was it was just to hold us over for a couple of weeks because this was moving so fast. Um, And then we, you know, Andrew and I spoke about it, went through a a a lot of discussions in regards to you know marketing and how it should look and all this, and we we ultimately. They decided that everybody really likes the Activities website, yeah. And so it was sort of a natural progression to say, "Well, why don't I bring that team in?" And that's what we did. We ended up pulling the uh, the team. It's uh, a a friends of mine in New right. York. Yeah, that's cool. called Smart Bomb. That do these amazing websites, and uh, we had them really base it very, very similar to the Activities website in, in terms of layout and functionality. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's, a very, it's a very, very nice a content mode. You guys look like you got your shit together, which is kind of cool. I like it. Well, ironically enough, we do. As much as we joke around, yeah. <laughs> the reality yeah. is we do a good shit No, I mean, it,
0: it, honestly, I remember sort of the infancy of this, which wasn't that long ago. And I'm blown, scary, yeah, was, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by months. what you guys have created for, for real. Like, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's incredible. And I'll tell you another thing that I think is awesome is that video screen that you have in the, in the demo unit. <laughs> that makes it look like a whole friggin' bunch of demo units. That, that that's was just totally ingenious. Andrew's idea and it ingenious. was ingenious. It's yeah. friggin' ingenious. You know, it, and it's so what Marcel like is so talking about,
2: good. for those that don't know, you'll you can see it on our website and on, on our YouTube videos and things. Uh, you know, we we made the first, we had to crank out the the first model units for this. And and going back to um, discussing our research tour uh, uh, with the competitors. And I say that, you know, most of the competitors didn't make any real products. And right. so the first thing Andrew and I realized was we got to make it, you know, we, we have to make the investment to actually create the model units that yeah. we can fly people in the sea, because if it's just a rendering, governments do not buy renderings. Yeah. You, you know, it's, you know, unless you, unless you're coming up with a concept for a new stealth fighter, you know, believe me, that shit is made before anybody signs off on it. Yeah. Despite what you may think. And we realized we had to make these and we put them together and then we were going to be doing press days. You know, we had a PR firm that was putting all this together for bringing the local news agencies in and doing interviews. And, um, you know, we were kind of like, well, it it would have been really great to make 12 of these things. You know, that's the delusion of grandeur we had in our heads at the beginning, but it's, you know, it's just a financially viable, particularly in a state where there's zero money coming in right now for anybody's business. Um, And Andrew came up with this fantastic idea. He's like, you know, we got tons of led just sitting around this joint. Why don't we, doctor it up put a wall back there and do a visual representation of what it would be like to stand in the middle of one of these while you're standing in the middle of friggin' ingenious
0: it it looks amazing you know and i mean uh, i haven't seen it in person but on video it looks so damn cool and at first i had to kind of do a double take and go wait a second what am i looking at here
2: well and, ironically uh, enough all the news teams did a double take because they were they were walking in and one guy actually went to step oh no and went whoa bumped <laughs> into the wall holy smokes that's <laughs> And that's hilarious in, you put a video well yeah this is what we really do it's just that it's like, is like so awesome. wow that's cool yeah and so obviously the realism of having real actors in the background yeah. back yeah you
0: before. talk about like the government and selling to the government and they they won't buy vaporware they want to see the real thing and stuff so it, is it it seems to me like it would be a painfully long sale process like selling something like this to the government are you guys seeing any success yet
1: it's <laughs> normally, yes, it's a painfully long, like year long process. Um, I'm watching it get fast tracked.
0: Yeah. Well, COVID, to, COVID changes that, yeah. I guess, right? There's some emergency yeah. need. Um, uh, so watched,
1: Operation Warp Speed
2: happening.
0: Yeah. yeah. I've
1: watched it fast track down to a matter of weeks. Yeah. Um, which is still record speed. And, you know, when we're talking, these kind of deals. Yeah.
2: Well, that's, it's, it's a, you, you know, what's really pushing that at the end of the day, it, you know, we, we've got, um, we have, we have multiple agencies in the U S obviously, and, and that have come to us about this uh, as well as some foreign governments that have expressed extreme interest because they've, they've got significant issues that they want, uh, they, they want to provide for. And we have a, the, what, what really triggers the fast track conversation is the fact that the, the COVID is moving at such a rapid pace. And those yeah. that wanted this as a solution for COVID, we immediately get into the conversation of, well, how fast can you make them? Yeah, and the, the reality is, it doesn't matter how many assembly lines we have going. You can only move and weld as fast and properly at a in certain amount of hours within a day. Yeah. So our ability to crank out, depending on assembly line processes, two to three units a day complete and That's you're still talking pretty about, damn
0: impressive you know well, I mean, two it, three it is very
2: impressive That's but per assembly line. <laughs> yeah, yeah per assembly line. and but what we're you're talking about then is you know when you know we're we're in conversation with a foreign government that it says well we want to do a 500 bed facility yeah okay so well that this is not a 52 bed facility all of a sudden so you, you were talking hundreds of containerized solutions that need to be manufactured. Yeah. And so we simply say, you know, okay, great, here's the reality. This is what you need, this is what you want. It, if if we don't get, uh, you know, orders in every day that you go by is a day lost on, you know, 3 to 6 containers that we can start cranking out. So yeah. you really have to understand your process on your end with the bureaucracy of going through the the chains to do that. And it's, yeah. it's not done as a, a sales push to, to, you know, con them in a, anything by any means. It's the reality of no, the situation. I completely get it.
0: Completely and, get it. you know,
2: with, with all things, with government, as we all, as citizens demand, there is a vetting process for this. So that well, must be adhered
0: to. And I'm sure you guys have fi- figured out the scale thing too. You know, like if, if suddenly you get the order for 500 units or Or whatever you know if you can only build two a day they're not going to be happy with 250 days from now we'll have your 500 units sir
2: um no and we're very much ready and have already planned to put a 700 person workforce good god into immediate action wow is that is that all going to be people
0: from our industry
2: or is that going to be people all kinds of different it's a a mix from our industry wow that's pretty cool that's I amazing. mean, you have some specialists, like people in our industry don't necessarily specialize in the welding aspect of it. You know, so that's, you know, the, those people are... are, are I mean, I'd,
0: I'd, I'd make that part of my pitch when you're selling to the government is we're going to take 500 people off of unemployment to build this product for you. you know? don't, don't think we haven't. Yeah. You know, that, would, that's, yeah that, no, that, that is
2: very... Because it was... It, it's legitimate. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's, it's not lip service. No, that's a we true story. We set out to put people back to work And we wanted to put our industry back to work. And so when you're thinking about a pivot to do that, you know, there's lots of things we could do and make, you know, there's a million different things, perhaps even more profitable or at least immediately sellable. But the reality is that's not going to put our people back to work with their skills. Right.
0: And, you know, not not, not to be a bummer or anything, but there's no IP in this, right?
1: There is. I mean, it's... A little bit, but the moral of the story is no, it's somebody could it's, copy it. anyone could copy yeah. it, yeah, just take the ingenuity in figuring out how to jam everything that we did.
0: well, you have such a specialized Group of skills and and capabilities and space and tooling, you know, you'd have to be a fairly specific type of business to be able to copy this in any kind of time frame, right? So yeah, I said, go for it. Yeah,
2: go go for it. Give it a shot, man. Yeah, we did it in three months. I, I wish you the best of luck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you've got you. You know, not not to really sound with bravado, but you know, the fact of the matter is, you, it it we assembled. A phenomenal team you know yeah. we had people on this team that literally have upper level top secret clearance working with the government yeah to, to do this type of type no, of thing i mean there it's obvious put in there.
0: It, it, it's um, obvious that you guys pulled off some some magic in getting this thing done so quickly because really again it looks slick as hell it's not like like when i saw the first demo unit I expected a rusted out container with a couple holes cut in it and maybe, you know, some rented hospital bed pulled into it or
2: something, you know? Well, quite frankly, that's the majority of what the competition is. They've just but, got really great coats of paint on it yeah. and gloss. And, you know, it, I, that I just fly. didn't expect in something fact, so slick, um, you know? Uh, uh, what was that? There was a hospital, it, it was just on the news. Somebody sent it to me the other day. There's a hospital in New Jersey that was bragging that they had done this and they have, they, they have it working. They've got, uh, a, a dual container set up in the parking lot just outside the, the emergency room entrance. Um, and they, they, they had the press there. They did this huge press conference. We were very proud of this showing it off and, you know, and okay, you know, good on them, but they yeah. then showed the interior of it. And it looked like shit. It, it, it had, well, it, it has no infrastructure. So there's no insulation. So right now, this works for them. I'm not sure how it's going to work in November. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. freezing in New yeah. Jersey. And and, you know, fun.
1: And they yeah. had external air conditioning. They had. The uh, best part was the hand washing
2: station was literally the plastic can washing station that we use at festivals surrounded by purages. no way. And that with the pump on the, the, the foot pump on <laughs> it, it yeah. th- I'm sorry, crazy. that's not hospital grade. So yeah, good luck with crazy. that. You know, th- this is the farthest thing from being a long-term, uh, you know, well, it solution. ends up
0: really easy to sell yours against product like that. Even, even if you are that's more like money,
1: everyone that's seen ours has gone, you know, wow. What you've made is impossible. Like, yeah, yeah. There's no way you actually fit all that in there, and now I'm seeing it, and I'm going, "Oh wow!" It's like, "Oh yeah, but you God, know what?" Though I mean, is
2: fire suppression in, in system in there?
0: That's how you guys are going to get attention. Up. That's that's how you're going to get attention. You know, I mean, yeah. if you would have just yeah. built a me too, another bullshit product, it it wouldn't have gotten people's attention. This is going to get people's attention. It's going to get you some big deals, and you know, all I know is I want to get invited for the uh, you know for the party uh, when you get your first big sale and, and, uh, you know, I know there will be a
2: We're going to need some people. No, 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 I ain't going to build That's what we'll be doing.
0: (laughs) Trust me. You don't want me building shit because, uh, you're going to get sued. Something bad is going to happen. So is there, is there other product that's going to come out like outside of the containered solution? Or is this always just going to be based on, you know, I
1: mean, uh, we have a few other things that we're working on. I've, got a laundry list of shit in my head still that you know my brain working and you know me yeah well you and know when i
2: talk every day about stuff and it's like you know it's it's great cuz it's it's such a fresh perspective yeah i was like oh wow i didn't even thought of that thing oh yeah and then we start bouncing the ideas back and forth and it's you know it's like a pong match of. Well, I think some of the smart screen.
0: technologies that are out there too, being uh, developed into these products, you know, um, and I mean, there's a million things that I can think of that I won't talk of about right now, but maybe we'll have a call another time. But um, you know, some of the smart technologies being able to connect these things and uh, being able to feed information back and forth and between the units and stuff with, you know, wiring and stuff that's already built into the units and whatever. Yeah. There's a ton of stuff. And,
2: and, you know, quite frankly, I mean, we, we have a laundry list of options with these, you know, we, we, when we say, okay, a a container costs about 300, 350 grand, you know, there, there are, there are four containers. So you've got a, you have the, um, the, the, the laboratory trailer, a, and I, I think we call them trailers. I, I mean it, for lack of a better term, it's the, the module, right? The yeah. laboratory module, the patient bed module, the open concept module, and then the hallway module. And those are, those are the four things. So the patient bed module, rather obvious. You've got two rooms at each end with with room for patient beds. And so for as many beds as you're looking for, we can provide two in a module you you figure that out and then the lavatory module um you know that you have a a full ada lavatory with shower sink toilet everything on one end and the other end just like the patient module is is two ends with with a bed on each end this module has two rooms on each end so you've got your lavatory on one side and then the other side's an open concept room that gets outfitted for the needs of that laboratory. So as you're deciding what kind of base site you're looking to build, you first look at, okay, how many patient beds am I looking to put in? And how many staff members is required to service that? And from there, you can figure out how many of these laboratories you need broken up between staff laboratory trailers and uh, patient laboratory modules. And that decides how you then begin to outfit those empty rooms. So for staff laboratory module, that room gets reconfigured with a bench and lockers because according to Army Corps of Engineers standards, you must provide lockers for personal effects for your staff. Well, here you go, it's, it's all a solution and you must have a, a single laboratory for every 20 medical staff members on site. So there you go, this room gets 20 lockers right there. And you, wow. you fulfill the, that requirement in one shot, done. That's now we look at the patient laboratory and patient laboratory, you need a certain amount of storage rooms per patient number and certain amount of janitorial rooms with mop sinks for each. Well, then we decide, all right, does this one get a mop sink or does it get shelving for just storage or is it both? Or, you know? And so you're customizing yeah, all Yeah, very that. cool then the open concept rooms all get clicked together to create open spaces for all of the other various needs. So if you need an operating room, well, there you go. You just figure out the square footage of the operating room you expect to have, and you put these trailers together as right. the open concept ones to create that. Right. Um, if you need a lab- laboratory, if you need a, a biohazard storage area, you, you know you do that. You need meal prep stations. You need meal prep stations for patients, and you need meal prep stations for staff, separated. So do, you need break rooms. Do you- you guys
0: have like this this um, design software or whatever, or is it just like
2: CAD or something? Yeah, we're just doing CAD. You, okay. you can build this out in any CAD. I mean, we've we so obviously we use Vectorworks for just about everything we do. Right. So all of our stuff is, you know, we've got hybrid Vectorworks symbols so, for all of these that we've, we've made up. So, you so can we can sit, create a site Yeah, you can quickly. sit
0: in a conference room with a client and drag stuff around and say, yeah, this is roughly what it would look like.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we can bang around That's the ideas cool. very easily for for figuring out what the, the site layout should be. So if it needs to be a specific site, you know, there's different ways that a client approached this. The, you know, some of the look at it and go okay well i just i'm a disaster relief company and i need a basic setup system so how how can i reconfigure these yeah. and what are my constraints you know we, we lay it out that way um in in the case of uh a, a, some of the, the governments that are coming to us about this one well, you know one in particular we say well we want this giant facility how do we lay that out and and it's not just a All right, here's the bunch of trailers and kind of a layout. It's a no, here's how it gets laid out. And this is what we suggest for an overall site operations standpoint, because you must think about vehicular traffic around the site, how you're dealing with laundry pickups and laundry deliveries from external services. Or are you going to put those laundry services in the facility and, and make open container modules that have? The, the laundry services how are you dealing with um, biohazard waste storage for the vehicular pickup of that to be removed from the site how do you deal with uh, ambulatory deliveries how do you deal with potential uh patient uh, dismissal and their pickups from family members because an ambulance isn't dropping them back off home you know there's all of this other stuff now we have to think about Plumbing and sewage removal and potable water input. So we've done this on so many festival sites working with our clients doing that, that that's a no brainer. And it's that becomes a massive value add to the the agencies coming to us because they're looking at that going, oh my God, you guys really have yeah. thought of this. If we didn't know that before we got there, we would have totally botched this up or not really thought about the efficiency of how yeah. we... Well, I mean, I
0: I think at the end of the day, some of these, you know, more traditional industries or businesses have no idea what hit them when, when, you know, you bring production people in to solve some of these problems. And I've always said it, like when we got into this whole COVID thing, I said, you know, uh, guys, let's figure something out. We're a bunch of solutions people problem solvers mm. that's what we do so this i mean for for you guys some people are going oh my god this is unreal and you guys are going yeah this is easy wait till you see what we got coming you know so well, what's really
2: interesting is that you know it, it, understanding the military and their their responsibility and their um uh the process of dealing with things in the military uh is very different and military people tend to be extremely patient because they're used to waiting for everything because yeah. everything moves at the speed of government You know, in that regard. But when it comes to war deployment or, or reactive services, they're very quick and they, they have very fast capabilities. Yeah. I still contest the fact that there is only one industry on the planet that blows the military away in terms of speed of response. And that's the production industry. You know, I don't think that your average audience member has any freaking clue how quickly massive stadium shows go up, you know, we yeah. look at it and go, do you have any, idea? like, you know, I've always been very vocal about the theater industry and Broadway taking, you know, this, these exorbitant amounts of time to go through their tech process and queuing process. And they'll spend months and months, you know, crafting, these shows and they're, they're beautiful. But at the end of the day, I, I've seen so many other equally, if not more beautiful things that have been put up in 48 hours Yeah, absolutely. or, or, or a tech process that has taken four days and then shot it out onto the road to then be completely mobilized. Um, you know, and, and, you know, then we have a theater industry that's always crying poverty in the same vein. You go, well, right. I think you may have an untenable business model there. Yeah. Like, that doesn't really work. Yeah. So you, you know, the concert industry is pretty lucrative and look at how fast those guys move. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at deployment of massive things like that, you know, you think about what Jake Barry has pushed around this globe and how efficient he made that process of course in our industry no, that's exactly
0: like, what I mean though Patrick that's exactly what I mean I, you know our industry makes you know like the fact that you look at the size of some of these shows the stones YouTube you know just a lot of them uh what 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 are they called those German guys Jesus romstein yeah romstein the the size of those shows and romstein's an exception because it takes more than a day to go in and more than a day to go out but um, the flame certifications alone. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I mean, that is an unreal show, that stadium show thing that they do. Um, amazing. but you know, you see the size of these rigs that go in, in, you know, six or seven or eight hours and then come out in like four hours or whatever. And people are shocked by that. Like that really is an impressive thing. Right. And so this stuff isn't that complicated. Um, no, no, it is. You know, it it and, takes uh, it takes
2: production management forethought. Yeah, a clear no, understanding of what the rules are and what the what the goals are yeah. to achieve the very specific stringent uh, yep. specifications. Yeah, and then the desire to implement. Yeah, and motivate people.
0: No, it's it's amazing. Congratulations, guys. I'm I'm really I'm super impressed. I'm happy to be your friend, and and uh, you know I'm inspired by what you guys are doing, and and you know this goes out to the production industry, obviously this podcast. So I think a lot of people who hear this are going to be inspired as well to, you know, to figure it out. Like,
2: yeah, our industry on the ropes it, for a little while longer. So. It totally is. And, and I know that, you know, I, I listen, I, I, wholeheartedly appreciate not just your friendship, but your ability and willingness to put us on and and discuss this. But for the the production industry that we're talking, we're not talking to medical people. And this isn't a sales pitch to the listeners right now, because we we're pretty sure that, you know, as we said earlier, hospital administrators probably aren't listening to this podcast. Our industry is, and it, you know, literally to all of you guys that are sitting on your lawn chairs, drinking beers in the backyard on, on zoom meetings, not talking about stuff. If we can do anything to implore you to pick yourselves up and use this as a motivation to do something new and to try and reinvent yourself, albeit temporarily, we're going to go back to doing what we love. We're going to go back to our dreams and aspirations, but it may take way longer than we thought. We know a lot of our industry is in jeopardy right now. You know, certainly more so, you know, with all the work we've been doing with people like Mike Strickland and the organization to push to try and save things. But, you know, nobody's coming to save us. But you know what else, Patrick?
0: Guess what? It might be hard, too. And, you know, I remember my first conversation with Andrew about this and Andrew said, you know, I'm going all in on this thing. Like, you know, if it don't work, I'm fucked. And, you know, I get that because that's me pretty much every day in business. You know, that's called being an entrepreneur and it's it ain't easy. So, I mean, the people who are 1099s or gig uh, guys and girls you know, your pivot is probably going to be a little less stressful than Andrew's and then Patrick's and then mine, but we all need to do it. We all need to kind of look and say, hey, there's got to be something I can do that works today that, you know, can carry not only my life and sustain me, but I mean, the cool thing about what you guys are doing is you're building a, a a real business that goes well beyond COVID. And so, you know, like what I'm wondering is who's running uh you know a g and who's running the activity once this thing takes off and becomes huge and the industry comes back
1: that's what we, we are. <laughs>
2: Yeah. You sell them off. No, we are. Yeah. You know, cause, Cause you know, when you're doing this type of thing and, and, and you know, certainly I mean, not everybody's an entrepreneur and nobody, everybody has that entrepreneurial spirit, but a lot of people do. And certainly if you do, and you're doing this type of thing, you also don't cast aside these, these other aspirations or the things that you have built just because they've been put on pause for a minute. You know, when I, when I look at how, I scaled the activity to be much more than just myself and to take on massive amounts of, of quantity and projects and deliver the same level of quality. And I look at what Andrew has done in scaling his business. So Andrew and I met back in, was it 95, 94? And and, yeah. yeah. And you know, he's a teenager. Um, you know, young in the industry. I was working at Group One at the time. Uh, I think it was a Clay packy product specialist. I was involved with the the Grand Amay stuff, um, and on the other consoles. and Andrew was Andrew was literally not many people know this. Andrew was the first person in the United States to buy a Grand Amay Series One console. I didn't know that. And, yeah, and uh, which he still has to this day. And it was it was the beta version. And when I left Group One um i think that group one had they stopped distributing ma ma was in a bit of a a limbo for a while and then uh as i recall high end took uh hog two they took the whole hog line in to their their system and uh they'd taken it from bob gordon and bob was looking for a new console to to replace it in his sales chain and ultimately ended up with MA. Well, there was this period where there there was no access to MA consoles. Literally, the only one that was floating around, Andrew had. And we were already friends through years of of both tech support and knowing each other through that. Um, And he and I started to learn the grand MA together in at his parents' house, he was he had a loft That's in the funny. parents' house, and we we would sit there for hours on end, like you know, oh, one, two, three, up, crashed. All right, let's start it again. And we we're doing this on the alpha version of the desk, you know, it was not ready for prime time, but we knew what it was going to be. And Certainly, Andrew knew enough about it to to invest in it and say, yeah, this is going to be fantastic in a couple of months when they get this these bugs sorted out. Um, but you know, seeing Andrew scale from that, yeah, you know. Working at, you know, and Andrew, you got like, you know, I don't speak out of turn here. You got to <laughs> talk up about some of the, the background of what you did. Cause I'm sure we screw it up. But there was, uh, as I recall, there was that community church. I think that you were there doing was, some uh, lights for and
1: stuff. Community theater stuff. Yeah. Um,
2: and then. So started- he's a teenager doing this and he's renting lights now and he got a few lights and he's renting to these guys, right? Got-
0: no, but, but Andrew, that- the, the MA were, were you smart or, or lucky on the MA?
1: I would I mean listen I was I was writing everything kind of by the moment back then I definitely I was looking for the next thing and the hog I was actually looking into buying a hog and it just I was like well this is the one everyone's using but it seems like it's going to be like it, it was a black and white screen and it was like it was like old technology already yeah. And yeah. I'm like, there's gonna be something new. And then I saw and it lived M- on for a few years. Like, you know, it that it, the hog stayed robust for a long yeah. time,
2: but the MA just looked way cooler.
1: It, like, oh, wow. it looked cooler and it had the functionality and it had like expansion thought into it. You know, the, the first MA, there was USB ports. <laughs> USB wasn't even functioning back then That's on funny,
2: Yeah. It wasn't even a part of the software. Yeah. Like, but it, they put it in there and they, they, is. you know, MA was so forward thinking and it, it was, it was interesting because was, Ma was very much like a, Hey, you know, if you invest in us, you're going to take the journey with us. Yeah. And, you know, we put these things in because we're forward thinking and it's German engineering, but we still can't make it function yet because it doesn't support it yet. Yeah. You know, and then ultimately it did many years later, but, yeah. but Andrew saw that. And, you know, one thing led to another and then I ended up doing some work with uh, Candace Brightman, with, with, uh, Phil Lesh and friends and, and the, the whole dead crew. And, you know, we, Andrew was really growing his company, getting bigger and bigger. And an opportunity came up where I was able to, to link him up with Candace, uh, and, um, Oh, in fact, I think it was the fact that Andrew, didn't you you covered for me. I covered for you when my mom died. Exactly. Yeah. It was we we had you know I, I, obviously living on the road. Any death that happens to a crew yeah. personnel on the road is yeah. is, is devastating for me. Uh, I was dealing with a a, a very long decline uh, from my mother and and having to. to be around with it while I was on the road. And I could not have asked for a more beautiful group of people to be with during that time. Cause it, it, was, it was, was, the Grateful Dead touring crew, Robbie Taylor and, um, and, and Candace Brightman. And they, they, you know, these are people that saw everything. So family comes first, no matter what. And there's yeah. just another show to them, you know, and I'm in, I'm this young wide eyed kid doing his first tour and, and really, blown away by all of it. And I, I desperately don't want to disappoint anybody. So, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to burden anybody with this death in my family. they <laughs> are looking at me like, are you out of your fucking mind? Get out of here. <laughs> like we can we totally do this show without you. You, you really think like, you're not that important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Families first. And so I, we were in New York, we were at the Beacon Theater and um, we, we were going to do a run of a few shows. And so the night that my mother died, I, I trudged through the show because it was nothing I could do like jumping on a train and going out, you know, just out to Long Island and my family to be there. Um, and I, I didn't, re- I wasn't really mentally prepared to, to deal with it just yet. And so I said, no, I'm going to do the show tonight, but tomorrow, um, let me get a replacement. I've, I've got a friend on the Island who's available and, and he, he's knowledgeable with the desk. And so I got Andrew and Andrew came in and covered for me. That's and cool. that started the friendship between Andrew and Candace Brightman and, and more importantly, the trust um, because he was knowledgeable and we had grown up on this, this machine and he knew it like the back of his hand. Like I knew it like the back of my hand. And, and so it, it worked out. And so the next tour comes around and Candace is talking to me and she said, you know, we really, we have, we have a bit of a, a problem with our vendor. Um, we're, we're going to shift vendors, but we really, uh, it's a budget concern and I still want to make sure we've got value and, you know, like where do I turn? And I said, and you remember Andrew, like his company's really like he's he's going all in and he's busting his ass. If you were willing to give it a chance, I think that you would get a lot for your money if you were to give them a chance to do the tour. And yeah. I know that he would not under deliver for you because it's 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 too much of a risk at that point for him not to. I, I know he'll do the so great what job. Happened? She went for it. Oh, my God. Sucker.
1: That's <laughs> hilarious.
2: <laughs> and the rest was history. Andrew, did, Andrew goes and does his first tour, and then it took and how old were you, like, Andrew? Oh, God. I was 18. That's crazy. Yeah, I think he was 18 years old. That's yeah. crazy. Cause one of the things I said was like, you know, you guys got to be cool about the drinking or like, you know, it's technically not legal. Like just be good. Right. Like just, yeah, that's hilarious. And, you know,
1: Patrick told her I was 21 well before I was. And then yeah, a couple years later, once she finally figured out I wasn't 21. Oh, we had a big 21st birthday celebration.
0: Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Inviting Candace to your 21st birthday party. And she goes, wait a second.
1: You've yeah, been touring with home. me for three years. Right, my, go, what hell he's only 21 now
2: that's so <laughs> one, funny. Of, one of my favorite age gap stories with andrew was when he and i decided that you know i, I was going freelance i was leaving group one i was going to be a freelance programmer and uh i had to learn the whole hawk like, i didn't have a choice like I, I had to take the class and really dive into becoming an, an expert on it and i, I bash was still around and, and one of the only companies doing um whole hog certification training right. that you could pay for and take a class. So Andrew, the, the guy said, um, yeah, uh, you know, we, we don't do it with just one person. We need two or more people, uh, you know, and then we'll do it. And, um, and I, I went to Andrew, I said, Hey, listen, you want to learn a hog too? And he said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we're going to do it. We, we, we sign up for this. I'm ready to go like two days before the class. Andrew goes, Oh man, I, I, I got a scheduled conflict. I'm like, You've, you're, you're 15 years old. What do you, what, what scheduling conflict do you have? Cause <laughs> I can't be there. That's I got hilarious. driver's ed that day. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> listen, driver's miss, ed. I go, listen, I'm trying to do this for real, man. I'm going to miss out on the whole hunt. Cause you got driver's ed. Yeah, <laughs> Screw this. And you know, and I begged the guys like, listen, can I just pay for two people and be there? Like I'll just make it financially worth it. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> sure
0: so mind. funny. That's hilarious. That's like picking up your your date at school, you know? Think picking up great. your date at high school. Yeah. Well guys, I appreciate it. I'm going to go watch hockey now. So uh So's Andrew
2: on a, on the big screen.
0: Yeah, well I'm sure he's been watching years. hockey. I keep getting these little things popping up that Andrew's on uh, Facebook or Instagram or something. So I I know he's <laughs> no, no. gotten bored with the conversation, but <laughs>
1: Oh, no <I'm> always around.
0: <laughs> no, I I appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. I really am blown away by what you're doing and and uh very impressed, Thanks very so much inspired. For the opportunity. Yeah, no. All all anytime. I mean, I'll talk to you guys anytime. It's fun. And for those of
2: you at home listening, once again, please use this opportunity. You've, you've, I know something. it sounds horrible. You've been given the gift of time. Yep. And you've been given this gift of downtime To that we're scrambling on our old stuff is not necessarily the best use of it. Please use this time to enrich yourselves, to do something new, to learn some new skills. And if you've got it in, you dig down deep and try to create something that as I, as I always love to look for an alternative source of revenue that can live on once you go back to doing what you love. So next year, when we're back at this. You're going to have some, some going to be making money while you sleep, doing something during this time that will live on. Well, that will just help you. in. Life. And by
0: the way, send your resumes to Andrew Gumper and Patrick <laughs> Dearson, because they go just the said website. they're hiring 700 people. Poets. go to the so, website
2: we have it on the website where you can send in resumes we have very specific awesome. job postings please by all means that don't be shy so go cool, for it. we are we're we're there
0: i love it well thank you guys have a good one go flames tonight <laughs> go vegas <laughs> all right man thanks again marcel i'll see you later i'll talk to you later Andy. All right.